0: down your unders
1: down your unders review and dissection of content from some of the sharpest minds in the game hosted by adam camilleri art of war down under
2: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this episode 44, I think, of the Art of War Down Under podcast. My name's always Adam Camilleri, um, and I'm joined by some average dudes, some regular men, uh, the normal blokes, Liam, Denith, and Luke. Hello, my boys, my men. How are you doing? <laughs> really yeah, good, doing well. Yeah, man. Thanks for having here. us. My absolute pleasure. <laughs> my absolute honor, gentlemen. For those who don't know the normal blokes, firstly, these gentlemen are all coming off significant tournament wins in the last, like, Two weeks, Luke uh, Pierce uh, having just won a pretty significant-sized GT in Brisbane two weeks ago with Dracari, and then Liam and Denith uh, with their respective teams coming first and second at the recent 100-player Victorian Teams Championships. Absolute sterling effort, gentlemen. I thought no better time to get you on. Spruik Australian content. And we're actually going to be discussing the Australian meta, the intricacies, the ins and outs, the backs and forwards, what makes it unique, is it any good, blah, 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 blah. Of course, it's good. But, you know. Uh, but, gentlemen. <laughs> Uh, for those of you who don't know, the Art of War Down Under podcast is a two-part podcast. You can find this one uploaded. We're changing the schedule around right now. Still waiting for things to settle, but it usually should be uploaded at uh, seven, 6 or 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, Tuesday mornings, with uh, the brand new Art of War Unbroken up going up on Monday mornings, and the good old-fashioned OG flagship Art of War. Um, original going up on Thursday mornings. Uh, apart from that, you can find all our other services over on the War 40 kcom You can purchase this podcast, the second part of this one, which will, again, be with these fine, fine gentlemen discussing the ins and outs of clubs, more discussion on Australian meta, and the just meta of 9th edition as it stands right now in Australia. Where, what it's doing right now, who's in the movement and Shakers, where it's going, what we hope to see in the next couple of months, and who we think was going to take the ITC for this year in Australia. But I'm going to segue this over to. I think we'll start with Lukey. If you're available, tell us a little bit about the Normal Blokes. Uh, first and foremost, tell us about the podcast. Where can people find it? What is it? What do you guys talk about? And uh, what can people enjoy from you?
0: Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so the Normal Blokes is just a casual uh, well, casual semi-competitive gaming group. We started off in Brisbane. Uh, basically, you can find most of our content either on our website, iTunes, um, Spotify, or anywhere where you get your um, your podcast. Usually. We also got uh, yeah our website which is the uh, dot and we currently moved over to YouTube as well so you can listen to us on there um, so yeah we're just a uh, couple of average guys we try and we like to sort <laughs> of promote the uh, promote the casual but uh, sort of uh, competitive but friendly nature of the hobby uh, mm. and that's kind of where our, our jam sort of shines through I guess yeah you actually well you do an amazing job
2: of it um, jumping over to the Neith. What makes an all look special? What what do you guys do that you think uh, makes you guys stand out? And tell us a little bit about your start in the game, mate.
3: Yeah, man. Um, so I guess it's hard to say what makes us special. I guess we all just started playing together up here in Brisbane and we wanted to, you know, get a group of guys together. But um, I I started in the hobby as a kid, like like a lot of people did. Um through my studies, I I used painting as a way to get my hand skills up. And one day just mm-hmm. at a at a G dub at a games workshop, I I saw Luke and um we had a game, and this was in seventh edition. And uh, he ran some Eldar Warp Spiders, and I ran some Blood uh, Angels Stern Guard Vets, and I got thumped. Um, but uh, after the game, I went up to Luke. I'm like, "Man, you you seem like a pretty normal bloke. Let's uh, let's have some <laughs> games." And I literally <laughs> said, "Wow, man, you're, you're such a like normal dude." So um, yeah, I guess uh, a few of us just started um, chatting and you know, gaming together, and it ended up like we're all really close. Like we've been to each other's weddings, like. Key guys in our group have had kids and, like, you know, we've seen them grow mm. up. So we've been playing together now for about four or five years, Luke, I think.
0: Yeah, roughly around that. Yeah. And we, we yeah. just pick up uh people along the way uh, that yeah, sort of we- fall into the group and, you know, we hang out, play games.
3: Yeah, yeah. People just gathering get on the bus. all the
2: regular dudes.
3: Yeah. <laughs> it. yeah. It's, um, it was actually, uh, it was actually uh, very much inspired by some of the early stuff you did, Adam. Um, for us to go, oh, really? uh, you know, hey, uh, you know, we can probably, you know, chat about our games, chat about the events in our area, because no one, no one's doing it, and there's some really good players in in Australia. So we thought it was actually Luke that thought, hey,
0: let's let's make a podcast. <laughs> We always had this like long standing forty K chats that would go for like an hour. And uh, we used to listen to your podcast, Game Against the Grain. Um and we were like, wow. Hey, what if what if we just recorded these conversations? Do you think people would listen? <laughs> yeah. And then- I think we were just <laughs> playing games, like we were
3: just playing online games, just and we ended up just talking about forty K for like forty minutes and we're like, Oh, let's let's why don't we just record this?
2: <laughs> well, I, I love to say you guys are into like your episode ninety, I think you said, ninety something we're yeah, approaching just, 90 yeah there you go yeah impressive impressive you guys have you know well and truly laughed me this is this is episode 44 of this show and you guys are just forging ahead doing amazing works liam over to you mate what's, what's your story how'd you get into the game um how'd you get into the normal blokes and what me you up to you recently
1: Oh, so um, I was playing the the Dawn of War uh, computer games when I was in high school and in university, and someone came up to me and said, "You know, man, you can make this art, uh, this interest of yours, even nerdier. It's actually a tabletop <laughs> game. You should, you should check it out." So I went to a game. I went to a games workshop, and uh, it's kind of been a plastic crack addict since. Um, I've been part of Normal Blokes for a couple of years now, uh, really good guys, and I've really enjoyed gaming with them, um, and I kind of used, a lot like Denise, I kind of used uh, 40K as kind of my, my brain outlet while I was at university, sort of pour, you, pour mm-hmm. your heart and soul into that one and, and distract you from all the study I should definitely have been doing during those hours. Absolutely
2: brilliant. Now, you've got a, your story goes a little bit deeper into the competitive side of things, doesn't it, Liam? You were representative for Australia in the 2019 you 4th know, place Australian team at the WTC. You know, you went undefeated at that event, so you're certainly no freaking slouch. Definitely one of the people who pushed the meta ahead in Australia um, for most of that year and the year before playing you know, Mega Knob Orcs and pretty much really just defining a lot of what people could and couldn't bring and expect to win. Um, when when in, your, in the piece, when in your story did uh, the
1: competitive juices really start flowing and how did you get started in uh, Competitive 40K? So uh, a bit of an embarrassing story actually, but I remember the moment almost exactly. Uh, I used to play in uh, pretty much all the local Brisbane events to the exclusion. Of I didn't really travel or go to any big competitive events. Uh, and in uh, a classic case of uh, Big Fish Little Pond, um, I was winning all of my games amongst my friends. Sort of thinking I was really a uh, uh, top top notch, and then I went to an event called Oktoberfest here in Brisbane, he- um, held at a bowls club on the north side, and I played a never heard of you called uh, Ev- Eric uh, at that event that I'd uh, never really spoken to before, <laughs> and I, 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 I went into this game uh, looking at this um you know th- th- this. Little fella thinking that I was gonna run him over with my Space Marine army, and he was playing a friendly Tyranids army. About an hour and a half later, <laughs> I had uh, no models left. Uh, my soul was crushed, and all my dreams were on the way out. And um, and and you know, I, I was I, I was a young man that I was I was eighteen at the time, uh, thinking that Eric was thirty eight. Realized now he's younger than me. Um, mm. And look, um, he he pretty much said to me, "Oh man, why don't you come play some games with us? We'll show you how to actually be good, best." Best, like double handed, uh, like compliment insult I've got in a very long time. But uh, that's pretty much how I sort of started playing competitive 40k and haven't looked back since. I've really enjoyed it. There you go.
2: So you started like as, as a grassroots kind of, both of you guys did. You, you like just walked up to somebody or made a connection in the community. And from that, it spawned clubs, teams, you know, podcasts, Patreons, and the rest, merchandise. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's actually <laughs> no, no, no. It's a phenomenal journey. Um, I, I, love, I love hearing those stories. So we've heard Denise's side of the story, Luki, How did you how did you get your start in competitive forty k? Where where did you really go, and how how do you feel about the norm blokes and the the inroads and things you've made?
0: Yeah, well, I actually similar to to these guys, I started as a kid, uh, probably like ten years old. Played a uh, little bit, tried to get into the game. I went to a games workshop store, got crushed by someone there. Went back home and said no, nah, I'm not going to play this. It's not cool. And then <laughs> uh, after high school, um, when I, I sort of got over that, I went, oh, I need a hobby during uni, so I'll do this again. And uh, it was pretty intimidating going to the the Warhammer stores when I was like uh, probably 18, 19. Um, couldn't find anyone to play. And one day sitting at the paint table um, was Denith, and he had his uh, dentist glasses on. And I was like, oh. <laughs> Oh, this uh, this looks like something you know similar to what I've seen in my university. I said, "Hey, uh, are these uh, used for dentistry or something?" He's like, "Yeah, they are." I'm like, "Oh, cool. Do you want to play a game?" And then he's like, "Yeah, okay." And we played a game, <laughs> and uh, literally after the game, after um, I was playing Inari when you could soul burst a million times then as well. Yikes! Um, so it was pretty brutal. And Denise brought his like uh, Blood Angels Terminators, where they could deep strike and uh, charge three d six or something like that something ridiculous and um after the game uh we both kind of said at the same time oh hey man do you want to add me on facebook where you can play games because you seem like a like a just a normal bloke and we kind of said almost <laughs> the same thing at the same time and then we kind of laughed and went oh, okay and that sort of kicked off our 40k friendship and from there we just mm-hmm. kind of kept playing tournaments and um we actually got approached one day at a competitive tournament that we we actually uh hosted which was called The Flying Cheese. Uh this was when Storm Ravens were <laughs> wow. great. Back in the <laughs> day, that brings wow. back like a memory. Yeah. Oh, let, let, uh, <laughs> let's make Storm Ravens great again. Um hopefully they'll be great. But uh I actually tried running them for the GK, but they weren't uh they weren't doing that that great for me. Anyway, that, on that side note, um we got scouted by Uh, Simon and Eric, they came to the tournament and they said, um, Mm. oh, yeah, you know, we heard you've been winning these GW tournaments, why don't you, you know, come play with us and we'll teach you how to actually play, similar to to Liam's experience. And uh, from there, we just kind of uh, kept playing 40k and kept trying to learn new things every game. And that was that it's really unique that thing you said where you got approached by somebody not not so much post or headhunted
2: but you know people walked in looking for connections looking for people who like to enjoy the game at the same level and in the same manner that they do and they said hey Come and play with us. Let's grow and get better together. And that's a story. That's a story that's perpetuated like so many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of times across everybody that I hear. I really feel in the competitive community. Um, it's an interesting thing. We'll talk about a bit later. There's some stuff about tall poppy and like ostracising you know the walls that we have up in our community between you know the casual competitive or the casual players and the competitive players and all those interactions. And in Australia, it's in a it's a very unique position as well. You know where we've had we're, we've had comp in our like very you know very close you know past not not that long ago we had comp events here there and everywhere and hell you know we have some at the moment in different forms so we're going to transition to talking about um the Australian meta and this is really the Australian meta special we're hoping to make some evergreen content talking about what makes australia unique why it's special and uh, what it is about us that is defining because people always uh, perpetually even now when we have great amazing exposure of australian 40k point at what we do and say why are they doing that why is that doing well what the hell is going on down under so uh, just i'm going to hit it over to neith first and foremost tell us just give us your straight up anecdotal perspectives on the australian meta why you think people look at us and see what we do is different yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of difficult to
3: quantify, isn't it? Because the, the meta is hmm. made up of um, what you expect or, or what you think people around you are playing. And that will always be different no matter where you go, no matter what the state of the game is. You know, the way, the way people play chess in Russia is different to the way that people play chess in the UK or in, in America. You know, there yeah. will be little changes everywhere. Um, I think in Australia, one of the things that we have some similarities with countries like Canada is our access to tournaments and how far we are away mm. from each other um, because you get a lot of local matters popping up and you don't get a lot of mixing of the pond. Um, the other thing is probably our access to models and how much things cost and, and stuff compared to other countries and how quickly we can get uh, some of the newer things in. Um, but yep. I, I think um, it's probably not as varied um, as, as some may think. I think the, the bigger thing would be the, the tiers of players that, are vocal about um you know the game are different in australia versus there are some parts of the world you know we like a v- very much of the the vocal community in in one part of the world um maybe you know um a, a, a less experienced player or someone who um is just getting into the game versus that happening less so in australia i mean it's hard it's hard to quantify mm. yeah
2: fair so Gonna hand it over to Liam next. Um, my name is my name is Bruce. I am you know seventeen years old. I'm keen. I'm a competitive competitive computer gamer. I want to get into competitive 40k. What would be your What would be the first couple of sentences to come out of your mouth telling somebody about it?
1: Yes. First of all, I'd say, Hey, Bruce. Sorry to hear about your parents. Uh, second of all, I'd probably talk to them about. Um, yeah. Look, yep. I'd probably dive straight in and um, and look tell them to come to events uh look uh, that's what i always tell people and, and i say that because um look i've actually got some of my younger cousins my younger brothers um and some people i went to uni with who are uh, all have you know been to my home been like holy hell that is a big cabinet of expensive plastic and they go like, mm-hmm. like where would i start like how would i get into this hobby like what would i actually do um how much of my soul do i have to spend or give up the answer is a lot um and i always tell people that you know just sort of dive in and Play events because I think that the, the the best way and the best thing about this hobby is the people uh, I, I don't think I don't think you have any sort of competitive game without people to play against and I think that here in Australia one thing that I, I've really loved is uh, traveling for events is one of my favorite things ever yeah. so I'd always just encourage mm-hmm. people to play events whether it's locally or interstate or wherever Brilliant and,
2: and very well said. Luki, hit it over to you. Um, there's a lot of people say that Australians play the game, you know, ass backwards. We don't play the game conventionally or in the same manner as what other people would say or, or might even say, you know, from the European or American metas. Do you think there's anything to that or do you think we just play the game uh, the same as everybody else? It just looks different optically.
0: Uh yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing. Uh, it's definitely about perspectives. I think, uh, personally, I think that we probably play it a little bit differently. We look for different uh, niches, and I think because we're such, uh, we're built into different segregated communities, um, the different codexes are looked at under different microscopes. So, for example, mm-hmm. in here in Brisbane, we've got probably three major competitive groups that all look and and talk amongst themselves and create these little niche. Um, army lists that then they bring to tournaments uh and then those same groups always meet at the same tournaments and we all have to like adapt to each other's army list building and then we have people from victoria or from perth or whatever and they have their own little metas there and they have Mm. you know these ever constantly micro environments that are developing more and more complex little niches of competitive 40k whereas i think over in america for example uh, it's a lot more connected. So everybody's meta is relatively the same um, mm. and they have a lot more um, uh, of a macro meta rather than a micro meta, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah. I think, I think I understand what you're saying. You're saying that like, the, just due to the dint of our geographical distance from each other, um, we develop things in different ways. So I'll hit, yeah. I'll hit this over to Denise. Why do you, what do you think develops differently and why, if you agree with what Luke said?
3: Yeah, look, I, I do tend to agree and it's, um, I guess it almost comes back to what we were talking about before, how when we all started, we were kind of exposed to one another, then we are exposed to more experienced players, exposed to bigger tournaments slowly, and um, really whoever's – at that forefront or whoever's you know got the newest thing in the area is going to affect the meta like let's say dark mm. angels adam are, are really good around the world but if someone in your area has found a way to you know smash dark angels consistently then i'm probably not going to bring that army to a tournament even though they're you know called out as being really good or you know we saw mm. it recently at a team event um eric and lee were were running tyranids and you know everyone in the on the planet thinks tyranids are bad so like um msu tyrannids <laughs> at least but um so, yeah. you know i guess it, it it depends if if people are really pushing the envelope on stuff and and showing others that it can be good and potentially beating some of the big builds that are commonly seen around the world as as good then maybe people in our local area won't be you know a, a bit more reluctant to try those those stock standard things and start to push the envelope
2: yeah so you're saying that um here because we have such a low population density there's really no way to avoid um the people who are p- to having the counter picks like you know theoretically saying let's say you go to the LVO you're playing iron hands and there's like five guys out of the 1000 people who are really good players but they have the perfect iron hands counters yep. there's a very good chance they don't play iron hands or they get knocked out before they do or something goes wrong but you're saying we have such a small population such a you know small community that if like two or three top players just play the counter meta pick it's enough to really yeah. stifle what people can bring do you think that's what 100 that right?
3: yeah and if and if you're going to play that person round one then why would you just bring dark angels or let's say you know exact, that example exactly. why, why wouldn't you just push the envelope a bit more and try and work your way around that list and, and that's how the meta mm-hmm. i guess in general will evolve um and the density of players um, that, you know, think like that outside the envelope is quite high in certain areas in Australia. But, uh, yeah, kind of like Luke said, it, it will always be different in, in different places in the world.
2: Liam, what have you got to add to this? It's very We've talked about five or six different topics. What are your thoughts?
1: So, I reckon the two the two things for me that, like, very robustly set Australia apart is – so, the first thing for me is terrain. And the second thing for me is sort of, um, you know – piggybacking off the idea of the population density thing. So with the terrain, uh, in in my experience looking at our tournaments overseas and tournaments here in Australia, I think Australia has a very different idea of what is appropriate terrain. And I've actually noticed that quite notably when I'm looking at the United States and the UK, uh, there does seem to be a very different amount of population density and types of terrain too, with Australia kind of gravitating uh, quite significantly towards the Wayland jutani WTC standard terrain mm-hmm. uh, and yep. other countries perhaps having a very different idea about um, what they consider to be good for a competitive scene. And terrain is huge, this addition, and I think drastically changes what a meta is and how people play the game and sort of the the techniques and the talents that they develop to play a competitive game. And the second thing as well is that because... You have a smaller population and these sort of microcosms of competitive 40k what you actually end up getting is almost like a big, a big washing machine where like for example in brisbane you have let's say a hundred people uh, a list of 100 people in various combinations who all come to tournaments but it's the same people over and over again competing and bouncing off each other and getting better every time if you have a bigger group of say a thousand people you can have people who you'll never play. You, you might never ever actually yeah. get the opportunity yeah. to compete against someone. But like, for example, for, for me, if I'm ever going to be competing at events and going to the, to the, to the top of an event, I'm going to have to be slogging it through the, or not the same people every time, but a very similar list of people. And every time I win, they get better. Every time they beat me, I get better. And so you sort of have this endless kind of, uh, growth from both sides which is only really sustainable in a smaller competitive scene and that's why i think australia mm. actually does have a really really strong uh, competitive scene dude well said i love that you brought up terrain and how it and and the kind
2: of styles of tables and things mold what you can and can't be taken um luke do you think there is much to that and if if you do do you do you think there's a problem or it's a, it's a bonus or a good thing or a bad thing
0: oh uh, look i don't think it's a it's hard to say if it's a good thing or a bad thing um I, I personally favor um, more dense terrain I think it um, it takes less away from just like I mean obviously if you have an open table you just roll dice they pick up models I mean it's not it's not really learning anything or or learning about mm. the little niches in each uh, phase of the game whereas if you have more terrain you're interacting or having to interact with more parts of the rule book which means you're interacting with more parts of of the game essentially uh, and I think that can create people who, uh, who know how to change the mechanics or use the mechanics in their favor to to gain a competitive edge. So, if there's more terrain, I'd probably assume that there's more combat phases in that in that game versus an open table. Um, and if there's a meta that has or a tournament that has more dense terrain, there's probably more likely to you know favor combat armies. So, I think it exposes mm. you to different types of armies and at the top tables as well. Um, it'll dictate what armies uh, make those top tables. And if it's consistently dense terrain, you're going to have consistently, you know, uh, more combat style, more well-rounded armies rather than sort of a uh, a heavily tooled, you know, shooting or heavily tooled just combat army. It's a more rounded and robust army that makes it to the top.
2: hmm underneath um the most synonymous the thing that's been most synonymously attached to australia is hordes and i don't think that's quite fair i think that was just because when australia really emerged on the the global stage it was a we we were a very horde meta in australia i don't believe that's the case especially not in ninth edition that's the case um why would you say that that existed and what what about australia made that a i don't know made that a thing really
3: yeah, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because around the same time, we we're looking at some of the uh, d- uh, d- well, WTC lists and and they also had yeah. some of these big horde lists like when you guys went over mm. in 2018, 2019. So I think it was the time that um, you know people started noticing us a bit more when um, – you know, Eric was winning, you know, CanCon 2019. I believe it was 2019. Yeah, 2019. And, um, you yep. know, Liam was running a million grots. Um, you know, lists like that and, and all the plague bearers and stuff that were coming out of, of people like mm-hmm. Lee, um, you know, and and people were noticing that. Um, and that wasn't happening over in the, the US or, you know, at, at the time. Um, and I think that's where it really started. But, really through 8th edition, that archetype was good for a long time, like even through GSC, pretty much right up until Marines. And even through Marines, there were some players that were playing it really well. So um, I, I think it's just a, a product of um, when we were pushed into people's views. Um, yeah, and and people here, there are players here that, it's not everyone, but some players here are unafraid to do that kind of thing, push around 300 models. Yeah,
2: it really was an interesting time because we went from, I guess, the, whole, the, the first Horde meta was the... Um, was the Razorwing flocks in eighth edition. And then it went straight from that into the things like the brimstone hordes, the cultist hordes, the conscript hordes. And then it was the orc hordes, the Nid hordes, the GSC hordes, and then space Marines came. Um, And it was, so it just went, but that was really the tale in Australia. I mean, that was, that was pretty much what I ended up playing on top on, you know, in, in, for T- that was the Tea weep armies in Australia for literally all of Eighth Edition. Um, Liam, you're really a, a meta-definer of the horde archetype, and and in some ways, you were the guy who was doing the counterpicks to the Horde archetype for quite some time as well and then you leaned and doubled down into it. What was your musings then or do you have anything to add to the topics we're talking about?
1: I think the um, the Horde armies are definitely a product of the terrain um, but also a product of I think Australians have always had a very mission focus. Like I think um, there's always been kind of a, this attitude of oh like I'm going to build an army just to play the mission almost sometimes to the exclusion of uh, killing your opponent and the Horde armies are almost the, the, the definition of that in many yeah. ways uh, especially uh, 300 Gretchen, for example, and that's not just an <laughs> example of how much I hate myself. Um, <laughs> now, look, I mean, the, the the big Horde armies as well, they kind of really, really lean into... Um, mastery of the core rules you know tri pointing models so they can't fall back what can fall back and shoot tagging shooting units you know advancing and charging where to be even using morale to leave combat Uh, tricks like that which i think really define top tier 40k play which i think a lot of players in australia spend a lot of time trying to master that's why it really became so weaponized
2: yeah dude and superbly well said um staying with you now when you, when you talk about mastery of the core rules of the game, why do you think there is an impetus there? And do you think that is a reason why Australia might be successful in ninth edition? Because it is a very mission-focused game at the moment.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I think that um, with the shift from eighth to ninth, we saw a lot of the elements of the competitive ITC circuit be kind of implemented in the core 40K rules in the terms of the primary mission. But the secondary mission is actually, um, despite, uh, I think, a a bit of popular opinion, it's actually extremely different to the ITC secondaries from last edition in the sense that almost all of those secondaries are related to board control, uh, objectives, and doing actions rather than killing your opponent. I mean, yeah, there's ones like assassinate. You mean all the good ones? All the good <laughs> all ones. The... <laughs> Look, I have taken Cut Off The Head at least once at a tournament, and it was not a good life decision. But, <laughs> I mean, because of the focus on those board control ones with the good secondaries, I think the Australians were kind of primed to doing it. The other thing that kind of, I guess, defined the Australian meta, Adam, and, and you'll know this uh, very well, is that for a lot of last edition, a lot of the really big competitive events, and certainly you know, you and I, Adam, we were playing the etc style missions we were playing yes. missions which were primary missions kill points and maelstrom missions so we were so heavily you know the primary and secondary missions were leaning into board control 100 mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. when the edition changed that was always the attitude of the top players that's kind of the attitude we carried over into this edition whereas if you were used to playing only itc style missions where 50 percent of the points were available to you from killing your opponent it is definitely a your attitude is very different. And I think that breeds a different meta. And I think that's why the Australians are so focused on playing the mission.
2: You you touched on something there, the the WTC and the influence of some of the bigger, larger team events here. Because so for those of you who don't know, we have a a pretty, a very robust yearly national um, event, as in essentially we have a, uh, a t- a Australian championships and Australian team championships where every state in Australia sends its eight best players. Lukey, you, you played for Team Queensland in their most recent win, which was, that was the 2019 team. You won, you went undefeated. Um, tell us a little bit about that experience. Tell us about ATC, what it means to Australia and why it's something that is really influential in how we go about the game.
0: Yeah, look, ATC is something that I um, it's probably one of my favourite parts, if not the favourite part of Australian 40K for me because uh the the people at the top of the meadow in each state uh essentially we're kind of all friends if, if i'm allowed to say anyway we're all friends um and we always uh we always meet at atc we always stay together we play uh the top tier competitive games uh we we have banter we have we have the the pristine games as well the games that you really uh you're always looking for in 40k and that's the the play by intent um uh super competitive but at the same time not uh win at all costs sort of style game Mm. Uh, it's like oh yeah look man I'm, i'm trying to wrap this model do you think you can do it yeah that's fine and then you just you know do it and at the same time um everybody's friendly about it everybody's having a good time uh and it's the same you know the same crew that goes for the most part and then we bring in new people who are who are actively trying to Um, join the competitive meta we have um, at least in the Queensland team we look to try and have at least two or so new players join the team each year just to change up and give people the experience of playing at the top tier um, representative level and show them what it's really you know really all about
2: yeah it really is so we have a I mean, so we just, had, we just had the VTC this last weekend gone, which, you know, Liam's team and then Denise's team came first and second. And so we have a huge team focus in Australia and all kind of builds towards the ATC, which so usually happens um, either mid towards late in the year. Sometimes it happens early, but, you know, you really, usually it's, it's mid towards late in the year. Um, Denise, uh, what are your perspectives on how that shapes the meta? Has that been a, a positive to you? Do you feel like you are, it's something people always work towards or always excited about? Yeah, look, I I personally think, and I'm sure a number of you agree with
3: this, that uh, teams is by far the best way to play the game. It's um, it's so enjoyable. It it really brings you know, it's we're social animals. You know, we we love a community. We we don't just want to play for ourselves. Playing for a team also, you know, rewards people to to get small wins, small loss, losses, things like that. But I think having um having consistent team events does a couple of things. Um, the first thing it does is it highlights list building at a slightly higher level because you are able to skew for certain matchups mm-hmm. so for example if i'm playing space marines i don't have to just take you know a stock standard um you know take all common singles list i can really skew into a really assault based raven guard list or a, a big yeah. shelly dark yep. Angels list and and that gives players experience in playing different roles and different types of play that will essentially make them a better player um but I think the biggest thing that teams gives is appreciation for the matchup. And and what I mean like by that is appreciation for going into a game, I'm playing one army, my opponent's playing another army. How do they fare up against each other? Do I have an advantage? Mm-hmm. Does my opponent have an advantage? Does the table give one of us an advantage? And I, the reason I think it highlights that is before the event, you're forced to go through with your team and rate, you know, the... The opposition's armies or the whole field's armies, so your team has a plan. Yeah. And I think that's an excellent learning tool for anyone getting into tournaments, just to see where you're at and what your army can do versus so many things. And I think it's great, mate. I think it's so good for 40k to play
2: mm-hmm. teams and 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 deep diving those matchups with people who are you know at the same level or better than you just gives you so many different perspectives. Liam, I've got an extremely leading question for you: Is oh. the team? is uh, yeah is the team focused direction of the whole nation of Australia the biggest reason we have such faction diversity no so,
1: uh, <laughs> so uh, uh, I think it's. I think it's a really you uh, bastard. I had to. Take I had to bank. be different. No, no. <laughs> so, uh, I, I think it's one of the major factors, uh, if not uh, probably one of the one of the biggest. But uh, I think before I, I do really think that the terrain here and the size of the individual communities makes a really big difference too, because it actually enables people to kind of get that codex mastery that I think is difficult uh, when you go to an event and there's 100 Iron Hands players. Um, but the team focus is definitely a big contributing factor to that. And I think it's, it's not just, um, it doesn't just contribute to codex mastery uh, and codex diversity. It really highlights a whole different skill set, which is building a list for a team, which is a drastically different game. You know, Denise really touched on it. And I think it's, it's, I wouldn't say it's easy to build a top tier 40k list, but there's always going to be things that are stronger. You know, at the moment, drakari is very prevalent in the meta. But if you're building a team, you're like, oh, whoop-de-do! You included a really competitive drakari list in your team. That's well done. It's a good pairings tool. What are you going to fill the rest of your team out with? Are you going to have tools to burst drakari? Are you going to have lists that are going to get folded like a deck chair against drakari, like my list? Are you going to, you know, like, are you going to have the tools to play a team event with four people, six people? Eight people. It really sort of—it's it, a whole different game, and I think uh, it definitely does contribute to it. But I think there's other factors here as well. Luki, anything else to add to that one?
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, I have had this discussion with um, Eric as well, and he he um, he always uh, puts it in good perspective. And what he tells me, and I 100% agree, is that uh, team events allow bad codexes to be good. It puts the codexes on all playing yeah. fields because. Units that you'd otherwise never see can actually be useful in a team event. And also, it's, it takes away from the the feel-bad moment of you go to a, a singles event, you go there and you come up against you know a counter-army, you lose it, and then you're, you're pretty much out of any chance of getting a podium, right? So if you're playing yeah. for a team, it's like you fight for every point because it's not just about your position anymore. It's about the team's position. So that combination of actually being able to use codexes and models to a very unique standard such that, you know, these models are can be useful um, versus, like, for example, in 8th edition, I played Land Raiders and um, 2 Repulses and, yeah. f- like, 5 Centurions and 3 Thunderfires. And nobody had ever seen these these things on the table before. But It was freaking they, absurd, I remember. <laughs> it was such a good list. It was probably the most fun I've had at a, at a Teams event ever. That list was just so fun. No one knew what it did. It was just, yeah. Something completely different left of the field, but it was useful because it was a team's event um, and you could pair mm-hmm. it into a matchup that made it favorable. Literally,
2: Liam just took a brick of 20 Rubik marines to this team's event and didn't drop a game and got top battle points. Like, that's, that's a perfect right. example, yeah?
0: If they don't have the tools for it, then you just can't deal with it. And it's actually a all, good is bully dust, tool as well. all is dust,
2: Adam. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so true. Uh, Denise, anything to add on this one? What do you think creates the, such the faction diversity in Australia? If anything, other than we've already stated,
3: no, I, I think the guy summed up really well. And, and Luke had some really good points on you know, it, it gives the opportunity for other codexes that don't operate well in singles to really shine. And and it might just be the fact that people don't know what they're about to pair into, which is why they shine because you don't <laughs> see it in singles. But yeah, it's it's, it's really cool.
2: Totally, totally fair. I 100% agree. Um, the only one other factor that I think we want to talk about in the negative side of things um, now switching into oh, – so there's a bunch more to talk about the Australian meta, but the negative side of things is uh, hobby lag. So there's actual like, – of all the countries in the world, of all the places where this game is played, I believe the only, one, the only country in the world that has less ability to chase the meta than Australia is New Zealand because their stuff is more expensive <laughs> and they pretty much get their stuff sent from us when we get it. So they ship it. They ship up, ship it to us. Ship it to them. At least that's my understanding of it. And it we could keep be the correct They get yeah. <laughs> Of course, no, we don't. Um, but uh, but um, is that a thing? Is that has that ever? Been, so Denise, has that ever been a thing for you that you've just been like, I wish I could play this army, but I can't. Well, you're a dentist, so maybe it's not a thing for you. But if you wish you could play this army. You can't just run out, run out and drop two thousand
3: bucks <laughs> yeah. on, um, on an army. But <laughs> I'm definitely not dropping like three k on the next Good Admec army, man. Like it's it's just yeah. unreasonable. Yeah. <laughs> um, but also like. I don't know about you guys. I, I feel like it's actually hard to just drop money on an army because there's like nothing in stock. <laughs> and this is even like pre-coronavirus. True. I'm like, I can't yeah, I can't, I can't yeah. find more than like two Storm Ravens at all of Brisbane. I know I know Liam's classic for going to like seven games workshops and just buying all their Necrons and stuff. But um but oh, yeah, yeah. That was the thing. <laughs> I think it's also yeah, a combination of the stock and the price and everything and um and and yeah and it's interesting because if we're playing teams and if we're playing um, in a way that rewards innovation, um, you really toss up the idea of, well, do I need to just auto-buy the best thing when something comes out? So you, you kind of second-guess that idea as well. Um, but yeah, yeah, I definitely think the um, the hobby lag is
2: definitely a thing, man. Mm. Look, uh, Liam, yeah, sorry. You of all people I know probably haven't been affected by this. I know about how you go about the game. But do you think that's a thing for other people? Do you think it's actually a thing where people go, oh, I would love to play Dracari right now, but firstly, I can't get the moles, and secondly, I can't afford them? Is that a, is that a thing that really shapes the Australian meta?
1: Um See, I, I actually think almost less so now than ever. I, I'm not just trying to be contrary, I swear, but like, so, I, mean, it, it, I mean, especially in the last like, you know, year and a half, two years, we've had COVID. So events overseas have slowed down much more than here in Australia. We've been really lucky and we've had that sort of going competitive scene. So we've actually seen competitive innovation and kind of what is the meta almost be shaped in a way by Australian tournaments. And I think that that lag in what is the top and what should I buy is almost live here, whereas overseas, it might be actually a couple of months behind for the first time in the history of competitive 40K. The other thing is, and what I'm seeing more and more, is that I think some armies that were kind of priced out of the game, if you want to call it that, the innovation of, I guess, some, some 3D printing and you know, other avenues to acquire models have meant that you know if there's a will, there's a way. I mean, I understand the hobby is yeah. extremely expensive, but people make it work. I mean, they really, really do. You should see oh, some dude. of my 3D printed Terminators. They are abominations. It's, it's, ter- <laughs> it's, it's terrible. But seriously, people make it work. And I think Australians have always been quite uh, innovative um, in how they get the lists they want to play. Whether they're considered um, you know, top tier or competitive, uh, it doesn't really matter. They're getting what they want, I think, at the end of the day. Uh, it might just take a little while. Yeah.
2: Yeah, dude, and uh, while I'm not here going to say here, run out and you know get a 3D printer because that's how you'll chase the men in Australia, um, I, I don't think that's the way forward. But I, what I do think 100%. is like, actually... Well, the thing that I've seen so much lately is people who have like a contemptor with magnetized arms being like... I am going to go to a 3D printer or find my mate and game to print me Volkite something or something that looks Volkite-esque. Stuff yeah, like exactly. That. That's, that's more the, I think, what we're talking about. Don't go out and 3D yeah, print an army. Or, or like, for yeah.
1: example, you've, you've got the Vanguard vets, like the Assault Marines, or you've got the Terminators. So I'm going to go print, uh, you know, 10, mul- 10 combi melters, combi plasmas, or combi yes. bolters. And I'll just equip yeah. them with what is the meta thing. I'm not going to go buy 10 more Terminators. And that's 3D yeah. printing has really enabled you to do that better than ever.
2: Mm-hmm. Exactly right. I think that's that in in the context of what we're talking about. I think that's the the best use for it as well. I mean, I certainly have considered it. I look at especially the price of some of the newer kits. I mean, sorry, we we joke about things like the Admech line and the the GSC line in Australia, literally being more than a dollar per point per model. Like and a, it's a true. GSC, yeah, exactly. I think you and I had a chat about this. A GSC acolyte is 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 like what is is like what five or six points a model, and it turns out being like. 11 dollars <laughs> 11 australian dollars per model it's, it's yep. absolutely ridiculous um you, you spend more dollars kind of stuff per point than one to one yeah it's exactly right uh luke you're of, of the two the three of us here or the four of us here uh you, you're the one who i know for a fact has been studying most recently have you found hobby lag or there being any barriers to entry there or a ceiling on, on chasing the middle or the armies you can and can't play
0: yeah look i i, I personally feel in some things uh Hobby ho- people always call me borrow because most of the time I have to borrow <laughs> models. Um, so I-, I definitely feel the impact of that. Um uh, for example, even in the last team tournament we had Sam Rubino uh running uh what are they called? Reapers, Jokari Reapers. This was before pre pre new codex. Um so I had to get an old raider that I had out of the cupboard, which had like cobwebs and everything oh, on this it. Is I got funny. an old Finn. An old fin of a hemlock wraith fighter and a um, space marine Laz cannon, and I made that look like the gun at the front of a of a reaper, and I converted <laughs> a reaper out of that, and it was an abomination. But hey, it worked, and it 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 served the purpose, and it actually looks like a reaper, which is uh, you know, funnily amazing. So I agree with Liam in the sense that you can kind of make it work, but at the same time, I, I do sort of look at some of the models and go. Yeah, uh, you know, I can't afford, I can't I can't justify putting out, you know, 400 like for Talos, for example, uh, 70 something dollars for Talos, and you've got to buy, it if you want to run nine of them, that it's just, it's yeah. almost $1,000 to run them. And I'm just yeah. like, no, nah, can't do it. Yeah. And they're not even in stock as well. So. <laughs> oh, no. So, I mean, I think. F- our hearts hearts
2: bleed but uh (laughs) yeah i think so i think there's we've got we've got two different topics we're talking about right now so we've got we've got like an adaptation to the meta like you know uh, we're not chasing the meta as in like running out buying a whole new 2000 point army list in order to stay on the cutting edge of codex releases we're talking about adapting factions we already play in order to keep up with an evolving meta game so to speak do do you see that being so do you see that being as much a difference between the two or are they just the same thing all the same different sides of the same coin
3: Oh look, they're they're both very different reasons why we might be different to, to other parts of the world in, in what we run. Um, but I, I know even for myself, um <laughs> if you're gonna just play like if I was just gonna play one army for like one or two events, there's definitely very little incentive to go out and buy and hobby stuff, um, you know, for that. Um, unless it was mm-hmm. like a slowly building up of a collection. Like um, but no, I think they're both they're both very valid reasons, but yeah, very different in that sense. I don't think it's the same thing overlapping at all.
2: Totally fair. Liam, what are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, look, I, I think it kind of goes down to player preference as well. I mean, you're always going to have people who have the armies they love and will just kind of adapt and go go with the flow and, and always try and be the master of their own book as the meta adapts. And you're also always going to have people who will change armies um, every now and again and mm. will, might potentially, if you want to you know, call it that, chase the meta a bit. Uh, I think the stock here in Australia definitely slows down the people who want to do the latter. Um, But thanks to, you know, ingenious people over in Poland, uh, some people in Australia are getting the things they need. (laughs) Holy crap. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So good. All right, Luke
2: question for you my dude um with yep. the growing exposure of australian 40k we've lost we've lost something and we've we've got some things and gained some things i mean we've lost we've lost a bit of the mystery a bit of the mystery of why we do and how, how we play and how we win with bizarre and wonky combos but we're, we're gaining exposure we're gaining understanding and we're gaining connection do you think the the risks are worth the rewards
0: oh look i always like to be that special little cookie but hey you can't always be that special uh, <laughs> It's got to be a, a, a point where uh Um, innovation sort of breeds a following, right? So once everybody Mm. sees, oh, wow, that's, you know, something I never looked at um, that way before, it gets adopted, it gets uh, picked up by more and more people. And I think ultimately for the competitive scene, it's better because you're getting, it'll hopefully adapt a more diverse um, competitive scene where, you know, America might start to adopt something that lists here or, you know, vice versa. Uh, So I think exposure is good for the competitive scene. But then again, uh, you can't rock up to your tournament with your special niche list that no one's ever seen anymore. So it kind of yeah. misses the wow factor of like, remember when Eric won with GK before they had a codex, <laughs> before they had yeah. the Waiting? thing? And yeah. everybody across the across the internet was saying, GK are terrible, worst army, yada, yada, yada. It's because they are all bad at 40k.
2: And, and, so, and not only that, so not only that, not only did you get to say, hey, look gk1 without anything like in a, in, a, in a ridiculous meta in the middle of eighth edition we had that i streamed those games i literally streamed and commentated those yeah, games you did. That with, and um so we had to be like hey he's not playing we aren't they are not bad players he had a hard run look what he did see we're not we're not we're not dumb we're not just bad players and yeah whatever um which is i actually regret some, some part of me regrets the exposure i've given the australian meta because i feel like it might <laughs> hinder us like you know wtc one year or something Thing where someone plays a wonky listener, like, oh, I know how that plays, because they can go and watch it on Twitch or something. But um despite that, I think I think that you know we want to be a player on the global stage. And Australian 40K is very unique and very amazing and very exciting. And I want start talking about some of the positives, some of the things that make us Uh, a a special place and a special place to play 40K. Denise, what are your perspectives? What are some of the things that you you feel are super crazy exciting about Australian 40K or some of the things people uh, should want to tune in and and look for when they watch a a stream from us or a podcast? Yeah, I mean... like I I love paying attention
3: to different areas of the world with 40k just because of the difference and because of the new ideas that come up and all it takes is you know it's like a little stone starting an avalanche you know just a new idea mm-hmm. if if I see something online I go oh wow I'm going to try that out and if if it turns out to be amazing then I've just not just improved myself and my list but I've I've given the people in my area a new challenge to try and beat so it this kind of and uh, easy exchange of information and, and ability to learn stuff from others is is making us all a lot better in, in this game and, and in this community. So look, I'm all for it. Um, and look, especially in this last year where a lot of places in the world couldn't have events and 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 you know we're, yeah. were locked down. We were Australia and New Zealand very lucky in the sense that we could still start to ramp up some smaller events and now some bigger events and and for a while, we were the mainstay of the the data going out to um, to some mm-hmm. of the you know services that um, report on tournaments, um, on stuff going on. So I think the ramp up that happened during eighth edition, um, showing off Australia to the world, really got to shine in the well unfortunate circumstances of twenty 2020 twenty and twenty
2: twenty one. Yeah, perfectly well said. And Liam brought this up before in that you know for literally probably the first active. Um, three or four months of ninth edition australia was literally australia and new zealand were literally the only places that were able to actually hold events um and a, a bunch of memes came out of that time in australia a bunch of amazing exciting things as well especially like things like what matt Morrisoli did and what so what um Lee abbey kind of coined with the the empress children lists with the, the terminator, terminator bombs and stuff then what you know, Matt Morisoli ended up winning um, uprising with really took off and uh, really started forging the meta forwards. Do you? And, and sorry, over to Liam. You're you're definitely somebody who has done exactly the same thing. You firstly did it with Mega Knobs, and then you did it with the Possessed. You used in a lot of other ways. Um, is that something unique to Australia, or is that just something that we're kind of renowned for? Or what is it about our players that where we feel like we the need to push things forward continuously, never-endingly, like never stop to take a breath, always need to be on the cutting edge of the meta game, not so much the the power or the new releases.
1: Yeah, I think it is very, actually quite unique to Australia, and I think it comes down to I think most of the competitive players at the top end. I think this isn't just for forty k; it's probably for a lot of different things. Are, are a group of uh, pretty confident, prideful dudes, and I say that you know positively, not negatively. And I think part of that is that when something comes out that's really potent, the vast majority of uh, that population of people want to find a way to. Counter it. Want to find a way to mm. beat it as you know <laughs> robustly as possible, rather than uh, rather than become it. Um, and that, yep. I, I think that that goes to, you know, for the players you mentioned before. You know, Matt Marazzoli, um Eric. Uh, those sort of players always try to come up with an innovative solution to problems rather than um, sort of uh, ch- rather than changing uh, their entire mm-hmm. plan from the outset. And that, that's the same and with what I have always tried to do. Um, Uh, building that mega knob list and taking it as WTC, uh, and also the possessed list in, at the time, an extremely potent uh, sort of marine meta at that time, Mm. uh, marine and necron meta, I sort of thought about what, was particularly potent at beating those lists rather than adopting those lists wholeheartedly. That's not to say that there's a right or a wrong way to play competitive 40K, but I think that attitude is probably more, more prevalent in Australia than it is overseas. And that's why I think we have that sort of scene of some really, really bizarre lists when you look at them on paper. But then you go, wow, that kills a lot of primaris marines.
2: Yeah. It's like it's like we, everyone's in a race to be the guy who cracks it, to be the guy who cracks the next new new book, not the one who yeah. to, to, sorry, to be the who, everyone's in a race to be the person who solves it, who who figures out the counterplay. Um yep. Luke, is that something you've ever tried to do is that something you incorporate into your lexicon of skills or something you buy into?
0: Oh yeah, definitely. I uh I frequently try to do it but uh fall short much more than uh, these boys do. Uh, for example, I tried to run the triple uh, Grandmaster Dread Knights and then came up against stuck <laughs> in one round and and got tabled in the first turn. That was fun. And uh, actually, most <laughs> recently at the Gladiator tournament, I um, I ran the Kronos instead of uh, yes. all the liquefiers and something like that and Grots as well, Neg One Damage grots, because I thought, hey, these are something that people are overlooking. Um, I'm gonna run them and they actually counter the Mirror. So yeah, yeah I, I definitely good. look for that.
2: Mm, exactly right, because the negative one damage and the the high toughness really negate the liquefiers themselves and, and negate Incubi in addition. So it was really yeah. interesting. If anybody doesn't know about that event, go and check it out on the Art of War down under Twitch, because it was really like there was three or four lists and they were all and the anti-meta lists in a different and exciting way. It was really, really interesting. I've told them all my secret, the artist of No. <laughs> <laughs> and then so what happens guys is that so this is this is to the, the viewership so what happens is five, like you know there's there's about 20 30 um ultra competitive players and then we all chat and we all talk and we all share ideas and then we all come at the same at the problem in a different way and claim that we were the one to do it first um <laughs> yeah
1: with plenty of memes along the way
2: a huge amount of memes. If anybody ever unleashes or you know takes a photo, you know some screenshots of the memes we throw at each other, you guys would actually think we loathe each other. But that's just good old Australian love. <laughs> but uh, Liam, is that a fair thing to say? We all want to. We all want to be the one to kill the king and be the next. You know, long the king is dead, long live the king.
1: <laughs> oh man, I, I think you actually said this at the very start of the episode. I think Australians in general do have tall poppy syndrome, uh, but I think mm. it's. I, I think. As a competitive culture, though, that isn't a that isn't a, necessarily a bad thing. It, what it actually means is that everyone wants to to climb that hill and be king of that hill. But nobody wants to say that uh, you know I did it because I got this from someone else. I, I got to do it yeah. on my own, doing my own special snowflake thing. And you know what? Sometimes it doesn't work out. Sometimes you realize that Rubik Marines are bad halfway through a team tournament. <laughs> and, 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 other, and other times you realize that Magnus did nothing wrong. So it's like, you know, I think the competitive innovations come with failure. It's got, they go hand in hand. And with more people trying it, the more diverse the scene is.
2: Absolutely right. I think that, and that may be more than anything else that is a reason that we keep things diverse, things giving over. The only time I think I can remember us have, actually having a toxic meta was Iron Hands, which only lasted for you know well a month over here before it was kind of nerfed because because it took everyone like you know i uh, gotta save up two rents you know t- you know <laughs> two pays worth of money to go and buy the three repulses um but yeah it was really it was really quite funny the only time i can remember actually being properly toxic it was always be, it's always been you know ifs and buts and you know harmful metas or punishing metas. but i've never been like i kind of don't want to go to an event because don't want to just play for Iron hands players and not enjoy any of those games, um, which is something uh, something I can really say that's quite encouraging about things over here. Um, one last topic uh, that we'd like to talk about, because Liam literally just said it, um, competitive culture. So there's a lot of things that have happened in Australia um, that have kind of put us behind the eight ball in some ways and kind of ahead of the meta or ahead of the world in other ways. Up until recently, comp was a really big thing in Australia. As in, the list that you took and the strengths that you took in your list and the units you took was curated by an, an external party, either that being the TO or you know, uh, community comp was a, a thing over here, and they literally had a system to tell you what you couldn't can't couldn't couldn't bring to an event um, in, in combination with each other. Um, and that's been that was a thing all the way through seventh edition and um, tr- tried to be a thing in eighth edition in quite a few different ways and, and forms. Um, would you say that 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 we had because we've had that so recently? You know, I know for a fact in uh, places like Europe and the States, they got rid of that pretty much a, a sixth edition that was pretty much dead and gone. We held on to it for a lot longer than everybody else. Luki, is that something that has hurt or, hin- or helped us? You reckon?
0: Oh, look, it's interesting. I always think it's um, I don't really like restricting models or anything. If if that's what we're going for here, um, I, I I find just let the let the meta be wide open, play what you can. I mean uh what most tournaments used to do was ban uh forge world wasn't it was mm-hmm. that normally yeah. the bands that no, we had? That, that was the most prevalent band it was like oh yeah no forge world it was like
2: either that or no forge world no lords of war
0: yeah that's right and no lords of War. that's the other one i'm thinking of um yeah i mean it, it's good and bad it sometimes it opens up books for for other codexes like um uh what was it custodes when they had the caladius grab tanks mm-hmm. i mean That kind of hit the meta by storm and then disappeared a month or two later. Uh, It's good and bad. Uh, It makes people waste some money on some units, that's for sure. (laughs) Um, But I think having a more open meta um, or more open catalog is always better for, for a game.
2: Yeah, Denise, you had any experience with comp, and do you think it's been a good or bad thing for Australia?
3: Yeah, I, I haven't had any direct experience with um, like the seventh edition comp system, but I've definitely been to tournaments that have had restrictions. Um, look, it's I, it's definitely a mentality of of what you want out of the game and what at what you want out of out of mm. an event. Um, because it's it's not like in soccer, you you tell people the guy's too tall, so you can't play. You know, you have got to get a shorter player. No one ever says that. Yeah. Right? But in forty k, all of a sudden, if yeah. one unit's too powerful, people will start. You know trying to hang this guy because he's playing this unit. Um, I think like the, the the main thing is people will listen to the loudest voice. So if someone's kicking and screaming that something's ridiculous, then people might start following along. So what we try and do is to try and promote a bit more of a positive culture around the competitiveness of these events and, you know, really improve yep. that experience for players and and try and detach that emotion from, you know, if something's busted or if something's just hot garbage. Um trying to focus mm-hmm. on the actual mechanics of the game rather than the unit. And if people go into Things with a growth mentality—that's And that's one of the things Simon um, always talks about up here. Um, if you go into the game with a growth mentality, it, d- it doesn't matter, you know, what what unit's good or not. It's just about the game.
2: Yep, totally fair and totally and very well said, Liam. A closing thoughts on this topic.
1: I am glad to see comp in the rearview mirror. Um, all, all, like, <laughs> all, all, all jokes aside, it's—I um, I, I think from the outset, the idea of comp was to make competitive 40k uh, more approachable for newer players yes. and meant that the Absolutely most opti- right and make that the most optimized lists uh didn't always sort of dominate events and push people into the dirt but the reality was is that i think it was a misguided venture from its outset because when you eliminate the most powerful thing something else rises to the top unchecked exactly. and becomes equally unpalatable like for example and the best example i can think of is in um some of my first team tournaments um Uh, titans of war here in Queensland um, there were no lords of war allowed for some of these events and because of that death star armies reigned essentially unchecked because at the time the stomp mechanic of super heavies like knights and wraith knights meant that you could remove models regardless of saves so in reality, you eliminated the Lords of War, but then you made the next best thing unbeatable. And that's why all teams mm-hmm. had like three or four Death Star armies. So then, okay, you, you removed that, but then gun lines were unstoppable. Like Tau became unbeatable. And so it, it was. Yes. it's essentially a never-ending cycle of something else will become unbeatable. And it actually made the game, I think, more frustrating for players at the time, like myself, trying to become a competitive player because you actually didn't really know where the goalposts were. You read a codex, yeah. you worked out what was good, but then you had to work out, was it allowed? When's that going <laughs> to yeah. change? Are they, are they going to update that? How many comp points can I spend? It, it was all very complicated. Uh, I think the intention was excellent, but it was a, I don't think it was a good idea from the outset.
2: And it was, and the more G Dub ramped up their release schedule, the amount of work needed to in, inform these decisions or make this balanced in any way, shape, or form just exploded exponentially. It just became so unviable. Oh, um, there are some other, there are other some other forms of comp that still kind of exist. You know, we still have uh, plenty of events over here that have a sports score attached to them or a paint score attached. I'm going to essentially 120 player major six round major next weekend or two weekends away. That's got a huge paint score element to it. And I love it. I'm going, everyone goes every year. <laughs> it gets 100 plus players whenever it wants. Um, and it's an, inst- it's an institution. And it's always kind of been that way. Um, and so it's interesting to see that these things still thrive and they're still part of our um, part of our uh, culture. But we'll talk about that a bit more in part two because we're, we're at an hour. We're going to wrap this one up. Um, gentlemen, anything, anything else you'd like to say on the, and feel free to jump in, whoever's got anything to say. Anything you'd like to say, closing remarks on the Australian meta and what people can expect from us or, you know, what people should look forward to. Just keep, keep
3: an ear to the ground and listen to what's going on because, uh, you know, it might be something that no matter where you're on the world, you could um, try out for yourself, you know, surprise your mates and, yeah. uh, and you know, do really well with. Really well said.
0: Luke? Yeah, just um, don't get this hard and make sure you uh, attend those tournaments uh, even if you don't do too well and keep, uh, keep chugging on through through those tournaments and you will to get better and better and your army might be the next Rikari one day as well so you know keep on hanging in yeah faction mastery is always is never a bad thing Liam tell us where people can find the
2: normal blokes again
1: so you can find the normal blokes on Spotify or iTunes and we've recently branched out to YouTube or wherever else to you get your podcasts or you can find us uh, being super irritating at the bar at your local Brisbane 40k event
2: <laughs> <laughs> fantastic gentlemen thank you so 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 very very much um, really appreciate your time go over and support the normal blokes they are an incredible incredible group of gentlemen doing wonderful things are only getting better as time goes on they're really hitting their strides and uh some of the next top players in the world uh could be on this podcast or part of this club gentlemen i'll thank you once again if you have enjoyed this episode please jump over to uh art of war 40k.com purchase the second half of this where we'll be talking a little more candidly about some of the factors influencing um the meta in australia uh what who the movers and shakers are what factions are are on the up, on the down, uh, and who who, our pick pick is and what faction our pick is to uh, win the ITC Championships in Australia at the end of this year. Love you all, gentlemen. Thank you so much for your time. Um, Good night. Take care, and we'll see you on the next one. Thanks, Adam.
1: Thanks, Adam. Thank you for listening to Art of War Down Under, a content review podcast for Warhammer 40K